Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Green Left News Podcast. I'm Ben Radford, I'm joined by Isaac Nellist, and we're both journalists for Green Left. We're going to take you through the news from across Australia and around the world. If you haven't heard of Green Left, it's a people-powered media project that's been running for more than 30 years. We centre the voices of activists and provide an alternative to the corporate news. You can become a supporter today at greenleft.org.au. Before we begin, we acknowledge that we're recording on stolen Gadigal-Wongal land. This land was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Green Left is committed to supporting the struggles for First Nations justice across Australia and around the world. There's debate in Parliament over Labor's strengthened safeguard mechanism, which is to cover for its uh, 43% emissions target, which is obviously not enough. The new mechanism is designed to enable carbon pollution to continue uh, while encouraging carbon polluters to purchase offsets. Um, The problem with this is that there's actually unlimited offsets available to uh, carbon polluters and there's very high baselines so that carbon polluters are still going to have a lot of wiggle room to basically greenwash uh, their business. The other thing is that the safeguard mechanism actually just reduces the intensity of emissions rather than actually the number of emissions. So emissions can continue to go up and up and up even if the intensity goes down. And finally, the focus on carbon credits and offsets actually directs uh, investment away from renewable energy, which is the important transition that we need. So it's interesting to see Labor trying to promote this as a great solution to the climate emergency when it actually isn't going to do anything really. Yeah, I mean, the whole mechanism is just so that Labor can say, look how much we're doing for climate action, when in reality, they're still supporting a whole bunch of really destructive fossil fuel projects. Um, Just recently, Federal Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek quietly approved a coal seam gas project extension in Queensland's Surat Basin. And the only way this this got picked up was because a researcher happened to be looking at the government website, um, a research from the Australia Institute, and saw that Santos had been given permission for a 116 well fracking project until 2077. So um, it's really it's really hard to see how that would could possibly fit under their proposed, I mean, still inadequate target. Yeah, it's just completely baffling. It's like they they want to look good while while doing nothing. Um, it's being left to you know people like the residents of Mudgee who recently protested outside the Independent Planning Commission as it assessed a proposal by Bowden Silver to mine silver, lead and zinc near the village of Lou. Um, And farmers in Lou also joined in this protest by driving their tractors through the streets. The proposed mine is actually going to be in the middle of like uh, agricultural area, in the middle of a tourist kind of area um, where lots of people live. And there's a lot of concern about lead contamination and poisoning for the residents. So there's a, a good campaign starting to to resist that proposal. Yeah, it sort of feels like we're fighting on all fronts at the moment. You've got in Ballangara State Forest, which is south of Kempsey, um, Tim Evans, who's a soil scientist and uh, an activist, he managed to stop logging in, in that state forest by staging a tree sit. So he you know went high up in a tree and he tied a whole bunch of ropes to the logging machinery. So he prevented those logging crews from from going in and 
and logging. And Evans said in a statement that the destruction of these native forests has to end in order to preserve biodiversity and prevent further climate change. Yeah, it's, it's really inspiring to see all this action across the country from different people trying to do what they can to resist the climate emergency. But in response, we've seen increased police repression of activists. Just a few weeks ago, uh, Cherish Quillman, who is a, a student um, protester, was arrested at midnight by the police after attending a housing protest in the city. Um, she was charged with aggravated trespass after some protesters allegedly went into the Commonwealth Bank foyer uh, without permission. Cherish was banned from the CBD, um, though luckily that's been overturned. The other thing is another activist, Stephen Langford, was taken into custody for sticking an A4 piece of paper with blue tack onto a sign of Governor Lachlan Macquarie, basically just with a quote of Lachlan Macquarie on there, highlighting Lachlan Macquarie's uh, treatment of Aboriginal people uh, when he was in power. And climate activist Richard Bolt was charged under New South Wales road rules for obstructing traffic while trying to cover a protest for Green Left. He was found not guilty of all charges on February 28. Um, so yeah, people getting arrested for just sticking a piece of paper on a statue uh, is very terrifying and we have to continue to resist the police actions and also the anti-protest laws that were passed last year that have enabled the police to step up their repression. Under pressure from transgender activists and allies, Queensland and WA have finally moved to reform gender recognition laws. While all the other states had already adopted progressive gender recognition laws, Queensland and WA were falling behind. Unfortunately, right-wing anti-trans campaigners are attempting to weaken the bills, and it's important we keep up the fight for trans rights. In good news, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre in Melbourne that was facing the prospect of having to close its doors due to funding shortages, um, they launched this urgent appeal and they received $5 million in a few weeks from 22,000 people, which means they can now stay open. And the centre has been this real lifeline for asylum seekers for over 20 years and has, has also played this really important advocacy role because they're independent of the government. They've often spoken against the government about their cruel policies against refugees. And the grassroots campaign against the AUKUS military alliance is uh, continuing to grow in strength with rallies taking place across the country outside MPs' offices, calling for an end to the military alliance and for the billions of dollars that's going to be spent on the nuclear submarines to be spent on things that we actually need, such as healthcare, housing, etc. Speaking of housing, amid this crisis and in the context of the upcoming elections in New South Wales, Socialist Alliance has called for a two-year rent freeze and a ban on no-grounds evictions. You look at rents in Sydney, they've gone up 12% for houses and nearly 20% for apartments. And according to the Tenants Union of New South Wales, nearly two-thirds of low-income private renters are in rental stress, which means that they're paying more than 30% of their income on rent each week. And another thing to add on top of this, on the no-grounds evictions, is that New South Wales is the only state where landlords can evict a tenant without giving any reason. This is even if the tenants paid their rent on time, 
even if they've kept the property in good condition, and even if the owner intends to continue renting the property. And the Greens just tried to put up this new bill to amend the Tenancy Act to essentially get rid of no grounds evictions, but Coalition and Labor voted it down. So it's in, in this sort of context that Socialist Alliance candidate Rachel Evans, who's running in the seat of Heffron in inner city Sydney, she has been part of this campaign to defend public housing as well as advocate for renters. And she told Green Left that there are all these reports of pensioners being evicted from their homes that they've lived in for more than 30 years, as well as young people going without meals just to be able to pay rent. Yeah, and even if you do manage to uh, get yourself a property, like people who uh, have bought places at the Mascot Towers where there's been these massive cracks, um, you don't really have any housing security. The residents of the Mascot Towers are still waiting on solutions um, and they kind of just have to see what happens in the elections to find out what's going to happen to them. Uh, A big problem is that the building regulation has become so privatised that... um, there's not really proper oversight on any of these new uh, towers that are being constructed. So that's a really important issue to address. Yeah, essentially certification used to be done by local councils, but now because it got privatised, it's done by these certifiers who essentially have these really cosy relationship with developers and it's become this real tick the box process. They just sign off on it without actually checking that you know, a building is structurally sound and that's where you end up with these problems with massive structural defects in a lot of new builds. As wages stagnate and the cost of living crisis continues, there's been discussions growing around changing how work fits into our lives. Um, so there's been growing discussion around transitioning to a four-day work week. That's four days working, so one less day without any loss in pay. Uh, And there's been some recent trials that have been quite successful showing that workers are happier and healthier, working less without any real loss in productivity and with work still being done on time. So it's been a really interesting report put out by the Australia Institute uh, that was looking into the work habits of Australians, showing the rise in the gig economy, less kind of stable work being available. And that's kind of a real incentive for us to rethink our work uh, habits particularly after the pandemic showed that work can be quite flexible with a lot of workers uh, moving to working from home or finding other kind of ways around as as we were uh, in lockdown. Um, So, yeah, it's been a a really interesting discussion that started. Yeah, did you find, because you wrote this piece for Green Left, so obviously you're you're across it. Um, Have there been any trials in in different countries or anything that were successful? Yeah, so um, in... The Unilever have just announced they're going to start a trial in Australia, um, following on from an 18-month trial in New Zealand, which they found was very successful. Workers actually reported feeling strength and vigor at work, which, you know, yeah, right. not, not everyone's feeling like that um, day to day. Uh, and, yeah, you know, workers were, were happier, felt reported a better work-life balance. Another trial in Iceland really emphasized on the, the health benefits um, with people having more time to, you know, go see doctors, uh, go see specialists, and also more time to, you know, exercise or think about what, what like food you're eating and all that kind of thing. So there's loads of benefits uh, that could uh, come from moving to a four-day work week, uh, such as, you know, having more time to do things that we actually want to do, uh, like spending time with friends and family, 
getting into hobbies. Um, there's a whole whole wide range of things that are kind of limited by the fact that we spend 40 plus hours a week at work. So it's really, really exciting kind of proposals. Uh, but just like winning the, you know, the eight hour workday and the weekend, mm-hmm. it's going to require like a significant push from, you know, uh, from workers in, in particularly unions uh, organizing, because even though there's been some trials showing that there's not really a negative impact on, on, you know, businesses themselves, I don't think they're going to just hand, hand this to workers uh, out of the goodwill of their hearts. It's actually going to be something that workers are going to have to campaign for and fight for. Thanks for that. Now we'll go to news from around the world. Barcelona has suspended official ties with Israel over its violation of Palestinian rights. Barcelona Mayor Ada Colau's decision was welcomed by Catalonia's union bodies, a bunch of civil organisations, as well as internationally by human rights groups and Palestinians, including the boycott, divest and sanctions movement. And closer to home, more than 100 academics uh, have signed on to an open letter to university vice-chancellors opposing the International Holocaust Memorial's working definition of anti-Semitism and supporting the Sydney Statement on Anti-Palestinianism. So we can see this this growing opposition to the Israeli Zionist state and and more support internationally uh, for the Palestinian cause. In Ecuador, progressive forces have swept the country's local elections. They've won more than half of the country's districts. And the Citizens' Revolution Party, which was former President Rafael Correa's party, and Pachacutic, which is the electoral arm of Ecuador's biggest indigenous rights organisation, they won a combined 15 of the 23 districts. And these results have dealt this huge blow to the right-wing Guillermo Lasso national government, which has already faced massive protests last year over cost of living, its handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as its continued violation of First Nations rights. And in neighbouring Colombia, tens of thousands of people took to the streets to support a whole bunch of progressive social and economic reforms that have been put forward by President Gustavo Petro. He called for these marches basically to inform the people of planned reforms, as well as strengthen support for this recent health reform that he presented to the Congress, which focuses on things like increasing access to healthcare for rural communities, as well as raising the salaries of healthcare workers and increasing state control over the healthcare sector. He also reinforced plans for labour and pension reforms, as well as programs to try and guarantee universal access to uni education, and as well as a whole bunch of welfare schemes for poor families and the elderly. More than 500 people from 18 states around Mexico, representing 125 movements, organizations and indigenous communities, met over February 1819 uh, at the Assembly for Water and for Life. So they're bringing together these groups that are resisting the transnational and local companies who are stealing water for their production and leaving locals without any access to water. So those companies are often using water that's meant for residential use or for shared common use from indigenous lands for their own profits, uh, so companies like Coca-Cola. The Assembly recognised that the problem is is global in nature and has called for a global day of action against the plundering of water 
on March 22, which is World Water Day. As diplomats and leaders met in Ethiopia for the African Union Summit, organisations across the continent called on them to transition away from harmful fossil fuels and towards a more renewable and democratic energy system. They, these groups condemned African leaders' plans for these new, really carbon-intensive energy development projects, and they warned about the impacts that projects by the US and all these other rich countries are having, which have largely caused global climate change. Landry Ninteretze, who's the regional director of 350africa.org, said that, quote, there is no place for the expansion of fossil gas in the energy transition in Africa, as it would crowd out resources for renewable energy and dull any hopes for the transition. And she also urged African leaders to reject the push for gas production on the continent. And it's been one year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine began, with anti-war Russians, uh, Ukrainians and supporters protesting around the world, calling on Russia to withdraw its troops and end the war, and also critiquing NATO for its militarization. All of the stories that we've talked about are on the Green Left website. Go to greenleft.org.au to find out more. As we get closer to the New South Wales election, Green Left will be continuing its coverage. We're going to have analysis before and after, as well as what the election means in the context of the struggle for workers' rights and climate justice. Green Left runs on people power, and we don't accept corporate donations or advertising, so we need your support to continue. You can become a supporter today for only $5 a month, and it's only $10 a month to get the hard copy paper delivered to your door. You can also donate to our 2023 Fighting Fund, which will help us make more content like this. Go to greenleft.org.au support to help us out. And remember to follow Green Left on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok for the latest news and analysis. Thanks for listening. Thank you.